everyone. Welcome to the Cambridge Quarant Chats podcast. My name is Simone Ehringfeld and this is where I have chats with fellow students and academics at Cambridge University so we can all stay in touch during this coronavirus pandemic and exchange experiences of life under lockdown. Find us on Facebook or Twitter at Cam Quarant Chats and please give us a follow. I'd love to hear from you how you are dealing with life under lockdown. Welcome back to this new episode. Today we continue the conversation that we started last week in the light of the current anti-racist protests going on around the world sparked by the violent death of George Floyd. Today I'm joined by Colin Edward, who's undertaking a master's in music focused on choral studies and conducting. He's a Gate scholar who previously studied at Columbia University and the City College of New York. As you will hear in his interview, Colin has had multiple experiences of being attacked or treated differently in Cambridge simply for being black in an institution that privileges whiteness. One particularly violent incident earlier this year inspired him to start the hashtag speak out movement, which is all about being vocal and speaking out against racism. In his interview, we talk about all of this and more, and Colin will offer us some of his insights and views on what it means to not just not be a racist, but to actively be an anti-racist. I enthusiastically recommend you to check out his movement, Hashtag Speak Out, for more information online. Welcome to Cambridge Quarantine Chats, the podcast, uh, Colin. It's really great to have you uh, on here. You have been one of the people in Cambridge that have been very vocal about uh, a very persistent issue here in Cambridge, which is mm -hmm. obviously racism, institutional racism. To start, it's I think it's very interesting to, to see you have spent a lot of time in the US, um, but also now here. Is it has it been a very different experience for you in terms of like the the kinds of racism that you have to deal with? Uh, because a lot of people in the UK would say that this is just an American issue and it's not here. So what's your take on that? I think that is the biggest misconception. <clears throat> I, I, I know that a lot of people assume that it's an American issue only because people in the United States are just louder about it. I think for me, my experiences here was, I think, a lot more challenging. Whereas in the United States, uh, racism a lot of times, not always, but often is very loud and in your face and you can identify it. And at least after you identify it, you can have a conversation, whether it's shouting or just having a normal conversation about how to fix it, a conversation can happen. Here, unfortunately, I, I've said this to several of uh, the people I became friends with. I said, I don't think people here not everybody but i think the majority of the people that i've had conversations with do not have the the necessary skills to have these conversations because they don't know that it exists my first two weeks here i i had somebody at some sort of nightclub that i was i visited said something ridiculous like he didn't want my black sweat on him because i was dancing and with some other friends and I, he came out of nowhere and i think I heard something about towns versus gowns. I think he was somebody from a town. I think certain people want to have fights with certain people, but either way, he said that ridiculous thing. And so I was talking to um, someone who at at uh, at my school that 
that we are supposed to talk to when we have issues. And that person told me, oh, well, you know, racism doesn't exist in the UK. We only care about class. Mm. And uh, that was after two weeks. So I thought, okay, I'm dealing with a different type of people and I have to figure out how to navigate these conversations, if, if especially if they don't think it exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredibly challenging. Um, so how you have been um, at the forefront of opening up these conversations um, mm-hmm. and saying that it's very important to, to be vocal. So what, what, um, well, let's actually, let's just start by, um, by talking perhaps about your, your incident at, at St. Cat's uh, with the Porter, because I think this led to your movement, hashtag speak out, didn't it? Yeah, I think, well, from the, the articles that, that can be easily seen, I'll just sort of wrap it up in a nutshell and then move on to what I feel I experienced. And so I think what happened was that there was some sort of protest happening with Extinction Rebellion. And I think they thought I was part of that, but I had a, a scheduled appointment and I told them who I was, I had an ID, they didn't believe me. So I was physically assaulted and prevented from entering in the building, even though a fellow uh, colleague in the same program was let in. So there was an investigation conducted at St. Catharines and it was concluded that um, I was in fact right. I was uh, physically assaulted and prevented from entering into the building, even though one of my uh, colleagues already entered the building and she's white. Um, and um, she can, she was also a witness to this as well. And uh, if you recall in the article after the investigation concluded the headmaster issued a personal apology to me and to the school itself so i wanted to make sure that that situation was wasn't looked on as isolated like because the problem the, the problem would have quickly started with okay you know this happened colin we fired the porter or we reprimanded the porter whatever problem solved. And I wanted to make sure that people understood that this was obviously not just happening to me, this was happening to everybody uh, uh, who felt like they looked different or, or somebody who felt like they didn't belong or made to feel like they didn't belong. Um, so I wanted to open it up a little bit larger. And at first it started out with race. That's how it first started. It started with people of color feeling like they don't belong. And I quickly realized that other people who felt discriminated because of their uh, disability or, or what have you. They also felt certain things. So then I opened it up to speak out about everything. And so that's how it sort of grew. And I think the response was, first of all, very overwhelming. I was, was happy that people were able to find the confidence to actually speak about the issues that they're dealing with. And even, even now, there's a lot of different things that are still happening, different cases that people are bringing to me even a few days ago. People are asking about the campaign and, and how we can move forward. And I think the, the the issue is, I think, if people are not, it's hard for people to start having these conversations because then they have to sort of look within themselves. What did I do wrong? So that's, that's what the questions people ask themselves. What, what? How is it me? I'm not racist. I'm not ableist. How dare you? And the problem is if you are someone who believes in your convictions, and somebody challenges those convictions, then all of a sudden you have to start wondering who am I? And once you have to start thinking about what have I done, who am I, and how have I perpetuated the trauma to these people, it's a very, it's a very scary thing for people to have to question. 
you have to rediscover who you are and come to terms with certain things that you've done in the past. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine in New York uh, who's African-American, and we were talking about how people take it very personal, very quickly, and they start to say, oh, but I'm not racist. Uh, it's, so it's not, I'm not part of the problem, basically. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, in order to have constructive conversations, her, her perspective was like, well, it, you shouldn't feel attacked necessarily. People think that it is uh, something that makes them a good person or a bad person. But we forget that uh, racism is institutional, institutionalized. Mm -hmm. And we, we all have our own biases and our own judgments whether you like it or not. And so yeah. to move forward in these conversations, she was saying that, you know, when you say something that's racist, like just acknowledging that it's an institutional, an institutionalized problem that doesn't make you necessarily a bad person, but just realizing that we are all part of the system mm -hmm. is kind of like a way to detach the person from the racism almost mm -hmm. and to sort mm -hmm. of be more constructive in the conversations? I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think it's that's the first defense mechanism some people have. Well, well, it's not me, not my problem. Like I keep telling my my white friends, I promise you, this is not about you. Today, tomorrow, yesterday. It's not necessarily about you. This is about you being an ally. I've had a conversation on Facebook a couple of days ago with a friend who told me, Well, I you don't want to hear from me because I'm white. I'm not doing anything right. And I know you don't want to hear from me because I'm white. I'm like, I never said that. I said, right now is the time for you to listen and try to understand how to be better. For for me, I try my best. If I'm trying to get people to understand racism, I go to gender. Because for some reason, gender is easier for people to understand. And I say, okay, perfect. You have a man and a woman, okay? Someone who, who identifies as men and women. If you say, if a man says, women are pigs, people will be upset. If women said, if a woman says, men are pigs, nobody says anything. Why? Because of the structural power difference, okay? Because there's this, all this, this institutional power that, so when I say something like that, that I know this is tongue in cheek, this is a very simple, um, example but i'm trying to get people to understand how the weight of the different things feel so when i when i bring it out to gender i think people sort of start to realize what i'm talking about you know it's it's everybody's problem um you can be a man and still have uh, friends that are women and still be sexist it's the same thing like you can have a daughter and be sexist a wife and be sexist and, you can have, you can be a white person and have black friends and be racist. They're just things that happen and we just have to recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also what is very helpful for me to, to sort of think how this works in terms of gender is that we, you know, a, a lot of uh, men respond to feminism uh, by starting to talk about the ways in which they themselves have been harassed, even though, you mm -hmm. know, the majority of cases, it's always men harassing women rather than the other way around. So they're saying, they're saying, well, I'm not doing this as a man. I'm treating women uh, the way I should be. So it's, it's, it's a similar sort of defense mechanisms where people take it uh, personally without understanding that there's a system of patriarchy and right. they are, we're all embedded within that system and it just shapes yeah. 
our everyday interactions it socializes yeah. us and th and that's the same thing for racism and mm -hmm. we we don't understand well enough how these systems work and continue to work to oppress people um so i i agree with you it's very much a, a matter of just educating yourself for for white people to educate themselves to to read a lot i saw on your facebook you shared like a very useful like a google document compiled oh. <laughs> <laughs> with all sorts of resources on how to be an anti-racist um i will share it also on on this podcast's um sort of well because i think the thing is when you're dealing with these things people it's the conversations it, it's hard to have these conversations so i'm like okay well these a lot of people probably need scholarly work or things that they can really use so this is not just call-in talking or some sort of uh, political pundit giving their opinion, here's some scholarly work that might actually help. Because I think when you're surrounded by people who are come from like Cambridge and Columbia, these, these educated people, I think they just, they need something that can, they've been so um, trained, I would say, in sort of the academic way of understanding things. And so this might be a way to help instead of just being flooded with flashes of news from different sources that we don't know if we can trust. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've seen a lot of people talk about um, the importance of not just not being racist, but being anti-racist. Um, and I think this comes back to uh, to the the book by Ibram X. Kendi, um, who wrote how to not how to be an anti-racist. Maybe mm -hmm. you could just explain what that means. What do we mean when we say it's important to be an anti-racist? I think I, I just, I feel like, I think it's important to understand what racism is the first. I think a lot of people actually don't understand what race, the actual word means. We have different interpretations, but I would like to share mine first before I get to that. I think racism, obviously we know is the sort of superior behavior you feel if you are above, among, above someone else's race. But I think to add on to that, it has to do with the capacity to oppress, okay? For example, I'll bring it back to gender. Like, I don't believe, I personally truly don't believe that women have the capacity to oppress men in the social s structures just the same way I don't believe Black people have the capacity to oppress white people in this given moment. I think because the structures are laid out so clearly, um, I think that has a lot to do with what racism is. The idea that I can put you in place. For example, we saw the Amy Cooper, I believe that's her name, uh, in New York. She weaponized her privilege by saying, I'm going to tell them that an African-American man is harassing me. That, uh, that capacity to oppress is what we're talking about. She can use herself as a weapon. And that that's where for me, the idea of racism is. So anti-racism is not just being against it, understanding that if you are white, there are things about you that are going to be racist because of the systems that we just unfortunately live in. It's been built in so well that we don't even recognize it. And recognizing that issue and, and trying your hardest to, to fight against that and have more inclusive conversations and talks and, and behaviors, I think that has a lot to do with being anti-racist. Yeah, exactly. And so we've seen 
now that this coincides with the pandemic, um, we've seen like a, an increase in just generally xenophobic sentiments and mm -hmm. and racism also against yeah. like Asian people because of this whole, you know, the, the virus coming from China and Trump saying all these stupid things about it being yeah. a Chinese virus. Um, and I think um, it's it's problematic that it coincides as well because it's it takes away from the the focus on what why we're protesting, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people are focusing on the, the sort of the glo the health issues or uh, dangers that are connected to protesting. Um, how can we be as vocal as possible and and show up in the midst of a pandemic? Is that something we have to be extra careful about, or what do you think? Oh my goodness, I have been thinking about that for days. This is a there's no easy answer to this because I, I have several friends and family members who are protesting in the states, and it is really difficult to to say at the same time you need to be careful, you need to be social distancing, you need to be doing all these things because we're in the midst of a pandemic. However, this is one of the most important movements we've had in, in, in I would say, in history because it seems to be very global. How, how can you tell people to stay inside and not fight? And also, you know, so it's, it's, there's no easy answer. I think sometimes everyone will do what, what they think is best. I'm not, I wouldn't get mad at somebody for saying, you know what, I, I can't go to this protest or whatever because I think that I'm a little bit nervous about the virus. I'm not sure. Fine. Because in my opinion, there are, there are more than one way to protest. Um, I protest with my money. If there's a company that I feel is racist, I'm not buying from that company or homophobic or whatever. I hit him where it hurts, which is in the pocket. So there's several ways to do this. I, I really want encourage people to understand that protesting... Uh, Protesting is not one-off. I, I go shout with signs, which is great, but there are other ways to do this too. And like, it won't, nothing will technically really get fixed just by doing this. We have, it's a continuous protest all the time um, in, the, in the various forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also about uh, maintaining momentum, you know, when, yeah. um, when everything dies down a little bit again, how do we continue to strive and push for the same things? Since you've been thinking a lot about how to be vocal and how to speak out, um, mm -hmm. how do you look at the kinds of responses that we've seen, uh, particularly on social media, obviously, because that's where we see a lot of the responses, um, mm -hmm. where there's people saying, well, if you don't speak out, then, you know, uh, silence is complicity. Mm -hmm. But then there's also um, this idea that if you do post, for instance, uh, you participate in Blackout Tuesday, um, that there's a performative aspect of this, um, you know, just just performing the 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 support. Mm -hmm. um, without actually following up by indeed other forms, like you say, like uh, investing in, in black businesses or yep. things like this. How do yep. you how do you look at what are some of the reflections that you've had in terms of like the responses we've seen on social media? I look I like patterns and you you mentioned momentum. OK, so I'm going to sort of in context uh, use that. I like patterns. So if and I've been watching very carefully. Um, my friend's response. I've been looking at what they've been saying because for me, this is what's important. If you're someone who never talks about this and you only, for this one time, you do the Blackout Tuesday uh, thing and then that's it and you never mention, 
for me, your intention wasn't quite there. I'm, li I'm listening and watching very carefully. A lot of people have been messaging me. Some people who I thought were my enemies uh, are messaging me, checking on me to see how I am. So I've been looking very carefully and watching, and I want to see the pattern. How much are you going to fight? How much are you going to be an ally? Because there is this thing where it's trendy. Okay, well, now everyone else is protesting, so I want to protest too because I don't want to seem like I'm the only one not protesting. Mm -hmm. We're watching you. We're all watching you. And and, and the for unfortunately, right now, everybody's really angry. People are taking sides and everything. It's all about your intention. I, I really encourage people to understand that you're, when you post things, when you talk, people re will remember. People will remember where you were, what you said, and how often you said it. Okay? If I, I've been screaming about racism my entire life, of course, I have to. But the people who are my allies are people who understand this and, and are willing to help fight this, not just one day or one week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you look at like talking a little bit more specifically about Cambridge now, um, how it has responded to um, racism in the past, how it is currently responding to this? Um, mm -hmm. What are your reflections on that? It is a tough pillar to <laughs> I, 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 I've uh, had conversations to exhaustion, I think, with several uh, faculty members, students, and I think they just think I'm just very radical. Um, they, they've just never uh, had to converse with somebody like me, which is very strange because back in New York, in Columbia, I was the more mild one. So it is very strange that I'm the radical one here. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think people are very slow to change in in Cambridge, and it seems in England in general, when you're dealing with something that has been one way the entire time, why should we change? Especially in music, I think it's it's a little bit more challenging because the way music is talked about is very Eurocentric. It's about this is the standard. And if you don't do this, or if you don't know this uh, musician, you are not really a musician. And obviously we're talking about Mozart, Beethoven, and all the rest of the white European men mm. out there. Um, so it, it's, I think on top of everything else, it's challenging because if I'm the only, like I was the only black one in my in my cohort. So if I'm the only one challenging these ideas, it looks like, well, what's his problem? Mm -hmm. so that's that makes it a little bit more challenging to yeah. sort of sell the idea of inclusion yeah absolutely and i remember um we you were talking about in a previous conversation you were talking about how you know if you're looking at music there's a particular canon that's very well established and people don't yeah. even question the canon anymore and this doesn't only go for music it's like it's in arts in general yeah. it's in yeah. all of academia there's a particular set of thinkers or composers or artists yeah. and then i remember that you were telling me that in some music seminar you sort of challenged that by asking well where are like the composers of color and yeah right so what i had asked uh, was because the, the the particular lecture was um choral, uh, choral works of the 20th century that was the name of the, the the lecture and so after two hours the 
the uh, facilitator asked, are there any questions? And of course I sarcastically raised my hand and said, are there any composers from the continent of Africa? Uh-huh. That was my question. Because I didn't say white, I didn't say black, I didn't say brown, I didn't say man or woman. I literally just said the continent of Africa, knowing what I would get a response. And the response was, no, none known to the UK. Wow. <laughs> That's, now, that shocked me again. <laughs> yeah, my everyone's looking at me. I look like an, a jerk, I guess, for asking how dare you ask this question sort of thing. But we spent two hours talking about a very, very small portion of the world talking about the same type of music. And I was just wondering, are there any choral works of the 20th century from this continent? None known to the UK. Yeah. And it's a strange thing to speak for the entire UK, like no one in the UK oh, knows. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is, so this is the challenges that, and so a lot of times people didn't understand why I sometimes walked around so angry all the time because it just didn't seem like the idea was being sold. Mm-hmm. But I hope because of what's happening now that I, I will find, I will tell you this. It, it's interesting because some of the people who thought I was crazy during the hashtag speak out have actually reached out to me given the situation in Cambridge, because now there's protest happening in Cambridge. So it's a very interesting, it's like, well, no, you all thought I was nuts. You know, now that you see that I'm not crazy, welcome. You know, <laughs> so it must be very hard when people are constantly challenging you and making you think that you're crazy and um, that you are suddenly the radical one when that just totally makes no sense. But you're you're lacking backup often because you are the only uh, person of color in the room, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you how do you stay sane or like how do you how do you deal with that how how do you handle this constant gaslighting of society making you think that you're the crazy one whereas it's it's the entire society that's very fucked up basically i genuinely believe that people are good that's the truth Hmm. i think people are responding to learned behavior And I believe if I want to sell this idea that I have, I I know that the truth is this thing going around that black people, it's not our job to educate white people. And and that's true. But at the same time, if I'm not going to be someone to help with this idea, then who's going to do it? I stay doing these concerts. Sometimes I'm the only black person on stage. I stay doing it because I know that someone is going to see me. Someone of color is like, oh, I can do that too. And this is not just for them. It happened to me uh, a few months ago, actually. I was in Eddington, um, like four hours away from Cambridge, and I was doing a concert, and a Black woman entered the audience. She was the only Black woman in the audience. And during intermission, I went up to her to say hi, and she said, oh my gosh, thank you for coming up to me. She said, until I saw you, mind you, she came with her adoptive parents. She said, until I saw you, I felt normal because I didn't know that this was for me. And this is a woman in her like upper forties. She said, I didn't feel normal until I saw you walk on stage. Wow. And I couldn't believe she said that, you know, you would expect that from a little kid, hmm. you know? And, you know, I know what that's like being the only other one, which is why I went up to her so I can say hello to her. So she knows that, you know, there's some sort of connection there. I stay sane because I realized that the outcome outweighs what what I'm going through currently. I can do everything I can to explain. I can do everything I can to talk about this. 
in ways that some people may not be able to, and I'd rather plant the seed um, as best as I can, you know, because people, I hope people will remember it. I would want somebody to do that for me. Like if I'm saying sexist things, I, I rely on uh, women to tell me or help educate me to be a better ally. I rely on that and I wanna be held accountable when I say something that's not great, mm-hmm. you know? And I welcome those challenges. So that's why I'm hoping that people will welcome the challenges as well. And I know some, sometimes it's hard for people just to reflect and realize that Oop, I've done bad, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to just keep on having these conversations again and again and again, because it is so systemic. It -hmm. is just it just requires so much persistence and scrutiny again and again. It's not it's a process that just has to keep on going. And it's not Mm -hmm. something you can't just like read one book, let's say, or listen to a couple of podcasts and then think, oh, I've done my work. Because yeah. it's just constant reflection and and self-scrutiny that and just like trying to dismantle and get to these moments of like, aha, this is a particular thought or an expression that uh, is part of this racist system mm-hmm. and and sort of training yourself to start seeing through that without taking it like too personal, but just indeed understanding that it's part of a system. Exactly. Um, so, right. yeah. I, yeah, just get out of your own way. If you're an ally, get out of the way and realize it's not about you. Just be someone because we because Cambridge is a perfect example of of finances that was that actually helped the establishment grow. I mean, money came from the slave trade to help this. You know, so imagine black people whose ancestors were affected by the uh, Atlantic slave trade. You know, we're going to this institution realizing that the money that built this institution came directly from our ancestors. Mm-hmm. It's a really tough thing to sort of uh, wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. That's why we show up because mm-hmm. this, if our ancestors helped build it, this is ours too, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very powerful. And um, I sincerely hope that Cambridge is doing a lot of self-reflection and that, you know, it's also part of hiring more black uh, academics and lecturers and increasing the diversity within the faculties, um, not Having just the student bodies. Curricula, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. that helps a lot. Representation. These yeah. are simple things that can be done. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing all of this insight. Um, do you have any any uh, little bit of text or a song or a quote that you would like to share? I do. I have something by an amazing person named James Baldwin. Yay. (laughs) I have a quote by James Baldwin. You ready? Yes. It took many years of vomiting up all the filth I had been taught about myself and half believed before I was able to walk on this earth as though I had a right to be here. Wow. Very, very powerful. That's my man, James Baldwin. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for for sharing and for opening up. And um, I hope that everyone listening um, really listens. That's mm-hmm. very important, the act of listening. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being here. Um, let's continue to struggle. Um, everyone can look up your movement, hashtag speak out. I assume it's going to continue. 
It probably will. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably will, especially now that it's it's gaining back the momentum. So yeah. so definitely don't don't forget to speak out about anything and everything that you feel that is 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 goes against your beliefs or whatever the case is, and you feel discriminated. Talk about it. Don't feel ashamed to just speak your mind. Your feelings are always valid, and you are an important person in society. Mm. All right. Thanks so much, Colin. It's great. A pleasure. Thank you, Simone. To all the listeners out there, thank you so much for listening in to this episode of Cambridge Quarant Chats. My name is Simone Ehrenfeld, and I would love to hear how you are doing in life under lockdown. Find us on Facebook or Twitter by looking for at Cam Quarant Chats, and I hope to see you next time. Bye!